Welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. This is the place where we take a no bullshit look at life's little lessons. Here, together, we find the spiritual glory in even the most wicked hard story. This is a journey from fear back to love and how we can find our greatest strength and happiness in some of the most unlikely places. I believe that if you're willing to change your mind, you can totally change your life. So, are you ready to rewrite your story and choose to live free? Let's do this. Hey, you guys. Welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. I am so jazzed to share this episode and this guest with you. Today, I'm talking to uh, Walter Norton Jr. Walter is a, like a wicked old friend of mine. <laughs> We've known each other for over 30 years. We met back in college at BU. Uh, we dated in college. He's somebody who I admire and love and have a lot of respect for. And he honestly is one of those people in my life who um, inspires me. He inspires me to be better. Um, and to um, not be afraid, not be afraid to, to get feedback or to do hard work or whatever. And I have a few, I say, I have a few ass kickers on my spiritual team and David Goggins is one of them and Walter Norton Jr. is another one. <laughs> so let me just tell you a little bit about why he's on the show. So you guys know if you're a loyal listener that um I tend to do solo shows. And so if I have somebody on my show, if I'm uh, giving up real estate to somebody, then it's because I um, either am wicked curious about them. I admire them or respect the work that they're doing. I want more people to know about them. And so uh, Walter checks all the boxes on this. And I'm just so happy to be introducing him to uh, the Karen Kenny show family. So let me tell you a little bit about him. He has his professional bio. Um, so he's worked in the fitness industry for over 25 years. Uh, he's made a huge impact on a wide range of athletes and clients. So from winning championships to achieving weight loss goals to improving mindset, it's clear that through Walter's extraordinary coaching approach, his clientele enjoys both widespread personal and professional success. And here's the thing that you're going to learn through our conversation is that even though he is a coach, uh, a trainer, like um, in your like strength and conditioning, all this stuff, Walter does way more than just help people to get in the shape of their lives physically. He also helps them to do it, I think, personally, mentally, emotionally, and uh, I, would e I would even add in some ways spiritually. So um, here's some of the, here's some of the um, things that he's, he's accomplished and done and people he's worked with. So he can stake a claim. He can stake a claim as having trained the most athletes in new England over the past several decades. And his incredible resume includes you guys just buckle up for safety. When I tell you this list, uh, you'll be hard pressed to find somebody who's done, done what he's done. Okay. So his incredible resume, um, as a strength and conditioning coach, as a trainer, call it whatever you want. Okay. He worked with the Boston Celtics from 2004 to 2008, including their championship year in 2008. He's worked with the new England revolution. 
He's worked with the Boston Breakers. He's worked with the Boston Bruins, right? He's worked with uh, BU men's ice hockey. We were both got my BU, got my BU sweatshirt on today. <laughs> BU men's ice hockey, Harvard University's women's ice hockey. He's had over 40 medalists across the 98, 02, 06, and 2010 and 14 Olympic Games. He's had first round draft picks in football, in basketball, and hockey. And he's had professional athletes in golf, boxing, lacrosse, and fitness. Uh, he's just across the board, has worked with some of the most incredible athletes in the world. But he has also worked with a lot of celebrities from movies and television and music and the media, including Ben Affleck, Jen Ghana, Ryan Seacrest, Ciara, Casey Affleck, and Matt Damon. In fact, it was Walter who uh, worked with Ben Affleck over um, 10 different films, got him in the best shape of his life for some of the movies. If you remember the Batman scenes, then that work there. Now, Ben obviously did the work, but Walter was 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 the ones behind the work, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, he has uh, he was one of the founders and one of the owners of Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning. Um, he opened uh, Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning with Mike Boyle way back in the day, and he was the facilities director and programming and trainer for 10 years. And under his leadership, uh, MSBC became the largest and most well-known training facility in the United States. This is all true, you guys. Uh, I know both Mike Boyle and, and Walter. So during that time, Walter continuously honed his vision of the ideal training facility, one that would be relationship-driven and motivate individuals and teams to improve their athletic ability, change their fitness and nutrition habits, and enhance their lifestyle. And in 2008, Walter left MBSC and he created his own place. And that vision became IPF, the Institute of Performance and Fitness. Uh, and you guys, there's just nobody else like him. Once you listen to this conversation, you're going to see what I'm talking about. He's an incredible human being. He's an inspiration. He's, he's a hell of a guy. And he's just somebody that I adore. Uh, and you're going to learn all about him and uh, his wife, Liz, who is the head coach at uh, Dartmouth Women's Hockey, which is just fantastic. She used to be the assistant coach at BU, another shout out for Boston University, and at Havid. Uh, she's a wicked smarty pants. And we talk a little bit about Jamie Damon, who's his right-hand man and also one of the hot beats uh, of the gym. In fact, uh, Walter says that his success would not be possible uh, without, without Jamie. So you guys sit back, enjoy this conversation. Uh, I'm not going to lie. There's some, some, lots of laughs, lots of inspiration, and I'm not, we, we, we shed a few tears too. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy. And, uh, I can't wait to hear what you guys think after listening. Bye. Hey, you guys, welcome to the Karen Kenny show. I am so wicked excited. I can hardly contain myself right now. So this is a super duper extra special guest because I think this is the first time I'm having in two, two, however long this show has been going on now over two years that I've ever had somebody on the show who's known me for a wicked long time. So I think that you listen to the whole big intro about who this person is, but also let me just say something quickly that uh, Walter Norton Jr. here, we've known each other for over 30 years, I think. We met, I think, were you 19-ish when we met? Ish. 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 Yeah. So it was like 88 or 89. <laughs> we met 
alma mater, BU. We met at Boston University. And full disclosure, we dated. <laughs> so, but Walt is a, an old friend, a dear friend, and we've stayed in touch over the years. And he's also somebody, you guys, who's doing work in the world that I just think more people, look, he doesn't need my help. He's already a rock star and a superstar and he's famous and everybody, a lot of people in his industry, they know who the man is, but my audience might not know you. So at the beginning of the intro, you guys, I introduced, I read his very impressive bio, his resume, all the stuff. And I'm just going to like remind you here, right? So Walter is, and here's the thing, this is why it's funny. And I'm going to let you have a shot to talk about this. I'm not even sure what to call you because I don't just see you as a trainer or a strength and conditioning coach or whatever, because the way that you work and I've seen you work because I've been in your hey. gym. Mm -hmm. You do a whole, it's a whole other level and it's, it goes deeper and it goes higher than just he's a trainer or he's a coach or he's whatever. So I want to talk about that, but just, just here's the deal. Walter, I'm going to read this. Walter can stake claim to having trained the most athletes in new England over the past several decades. So worked with the Celtics for four years, including their championship year in 2008. You've worked with soccer players. You work with the Bruins. You work with BU's hockey team. No slouchy team there, BU, right? 40 medalists in Olympic games, right? Professional athletes, celebrities. I mean, on and on and on. On Harvard women's hockey, blah, 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 blah. But you tell me about you and this impressive resume and what you, like, how would you describe yourself? Like, if I have a stranger on the street and I bump into you or we get introduced and I say to you, so what do you do? What would you say to me about, about all this? I'd say I'm a coach. Uh, I work at a gym. We change behavior. Like <laughs> I, you know, because it, it, there's the funny thing about labels is that everybody either feels like defined by them, wants to apply them. And it's really tough because like, oh, you're a trainer, you're a coach. It's amazing how many people give a shit about the stuff that doesn't matter. And they're like, you know, I'm vice president of development. I'm, you know, director of performance. And really, who cares? Because it's, it's a little bit like bio. Everything's great on paper until you see people in person. And that's, you know, one of the, the wonders of the computer is that on my bio, if you read it, and I say this with confidence, but also give me a chance to say the second part, one is better than anybody else's you'll meet. So there are very few people in our field that have worked with from an athletic development standpoint, five different professional sports teams. There's very few people that have worked with the, the breadth of how different those sports teams are. There's very few people that have worked on 15 different um, movie productions and worked you know, for, for on 10 different movies with Ben Affleck. There are very few people that have worked for as long with men and with women. And we started essentially the youth training industry 20 something years ago. So that all having been said, all that shit means is I'm old and I've been around <laughs> for a while. And I, I like, it's just so tough because everybody, I, I will tell you on, I trained somebody on Wednesday and they had just come back from Austin, Texas. And it's a 70 year old guy. He's incredibly fit. He's 70 years old. He's running actively in our gym. Like when you meet him, you think he's 55 and then you see he's 70 doing stuff. And you're just like, holy cow, he's the oldest person currently training in our gym. And he was in Austin and he went to get a workout in and somebody saw him and said like, Hey man, you're an, a trainer. Hey man, you're in incredible shape. And he said, thank you. And he said, well, how old are you? And he said, well, I'm, I'll be 70 in January. And the guy was like floored, absolutely floored. 
And I thought, that's cool. That's a real compliment. And then he said, well, who do you train with? And he said, oh, you know, Walter Norton uh, in Boston. And to me, the next question is, what do you do? You look great. Like what's your, how consistent have you been? Why have you been so good? Why do you still move so well? Why is your energy so great? The next question from that trainer was, who does he train? And like somehow that validates, like the, the evidence is right in front of you. This person's in terrific shape. So whether I'm terrible or amazing, here's we have, like we have a very good example of somebody who looks awesome and is taking care of themselves. So you get a chance, you get the resource right there, but somehow you need to validate it by like scrolling on Instagram to find out like what my history looks like or who I've trained before. So the, the Keith, who's great, says, you know what? I'm just gonna bury this guy and list like 20 things that I've done. And the tough part is, is like, so I said to Keith, I said, I said, you should have just said, oh, he's just a trainer in Boston and leave it at that because if he doesn't want to hear from you, it's not worth it. But instead he gives him the full resume and then the guy just goes, oh, oh, okay. And, you know, walks away. But it's, it's like that somehow that when you meet somebody in real life, you got to find, you got to check their followers. You got to see who they've worked with, who they've rubbed shoulders with. And I just think that's a really shitty way to go overall. And don't get me wrong. There's pluses and minuses to all of that but like standing next to famous people doesn't validate who you are and never working with someone who does anything but in our field people think like that's like oh they want to wear like oh the celtics or oh the uh the bruins or i worked on this movie we we worked on argo like oh it's so cool because it's i don't know like the experiences are really cool the people i work with are really cool otherwise i can just walk away at this point but the fact that like Somehow you have to validate everything as opposed to the moment and the experience to me is always something in our field and in society that gets really like, it's just some bullshit. Yeah. So there's so many things. This is one of these things where I was like, man, I don't know how I'm going to keep this conversation on track because you and I can talk about so many things. And when you speak it, like my, my brain just like lights up and I'm like, oh, I got to try to remember to comment on this. So Several things that you said there. So we're going to get to all that. We're going to get to celebrities and whatever, because I have a particular question about that. So we'll get to all the famous people you work with, all the fancy shit you've done. But and if we said, never if we never get there, that's fine with me too. No, no, no so but I have, there's a reason why I want to ask that question. Sure. So one of, the, one of the things that you said in there that I thought so it was so interesting, and it just speaks to why I'm even having you on the show, is that you said, his next question should have been, okay, Here's where the problem is for, it's not a problem. It's just kind of what makes you, you, you don't have a mind that thinks like most people, right? It's one of the things about you that I can say from knowing you for a long time and watching you grow into the person and, and, you know, the coach or whatever that you've become, but it's also like, you're not what motivates you and lights you up and excites you are not the usual things that I would say kind of motivates and lights up things. Like you said, like, it's just like, I, it's so interesting. Um, and it's one of the things I think that makes your gym like really, really unique. So first of all, tell us the name of your gym, tell us um, a little bit about your gym. And then I'm going to dive into a couple of questions that I have for you. Sure. We're the Institute of Performance and Fitness. We're in North Reading on the North Reading Andover line. We're in, I think, our 14th year. Uh, yeah, in that location, right? It, well, so we were in our seventh or eighth year in this location. We were in Andover before. Obviously, before then, I started a long time ago 
Uh, Mike Boyle and I started Mike Boyle Strength Conditioning. I was there for the first 10 years for every day. And then I wanted a smaller, more intimate setting. I still think the hardest thing in the world to do is ask people to change. And if you're not going to be there, if you're not going to develop relationships, if you're not going to get to know and have honest conversations, which is a whole nother, I just think honest conversations should rule the world and they don't. But uh, so we opened up a, a gym designed that those conversations would flow throughout the workout, would flow throughout the day, would flow throughout life. You know, the amount of people like you're, there's certainly, we say, if we're seeing people for two hours a day, great but there's a whole lot of other hours in the day, but we are trying to change behavior. And we think a good place to start with overall lifespan, health, human development, general enjoyment is fitness, but we certainly not limited to, and like, that's also why our gym quite frankly, isn't for everyone. And I don't say that with a pat on my back. I wish we could affect more people. I just think um, one, and, and you're talking about how I think, I think there's some, there's some real pros to how I view life and there's some real cons. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, like, so part of it is just having the awareness to know like my shoe doesn't fit everybody's foot. Yeah. So, and I don't want it to, but I also sometimes would like it to fit more. You know what I mean? I'd like um, more people to benefit when you see so many people having success and you realize like the whole world benefits from structure, but very few people enjoy it or oh. They, they like structure in the moment and they like seeing it applied to somebody else. But when things get a little tight for them, and I think the other part is I, I love watching people really struggle and fail and learn. And as, as I'm sure you've talked about a thousand times, the science of learning indicates like a failure fixes things quick and we're going to fail a thousand times, but like running from it, hiding from it, not being, not embracing, like I screwed that up. I screwed that up. What's my next new mistake? You know, how can I keep learning? How can I make this process better as opposed to holding steady? So we're always having conversations about mindset, about attitude, about thought process, and just about building some structure. And for some people that might involve like the simplest of decisions about getting out of bed a little sooner or going to bed a little earlier. For other people, it's about not second guessing themselves and not worrying about what other people think and not comparison. And there's a thousand different ways to go. But I would say in our gym, we do a very nice job with fitness, but it's almost a byproduct as opposed to the main emphasis. A hundred percent. And I can speak to that because like I said, I've been in your gym. Um, I, you know, listen to your one minute mojo videos that you do. Um, I've, I've been to your gym several times to actually just kind of check things out or whatever. And so I'm going to, I'm going to circle back to that in one second, because you mentioned this, and I think this is important because this is exactly what you're talking about. So, so in the late nineties, you and Mike Boyle, so Mike Boyle, you know, big name Boyle strength and condition and whatever. So you guys open up the gym together, correct? Back in August mass. Okay. So from the the first, leave you together and open up a gym and Mike actually has to stay at BU to finish his contract. And so we jump in with a business that's um, bankrupt and literally first day I'm looking in there thinking like, oh my God, what did I do? I was a successful agent at the time. Like uh, the agent, I worked as a sports agent for four years before that. And we had exploded. We were the sixth biggest agency in football. We had just had the most amazing year, multiple first round picks, seven of the first 75 kids drafted. We were 55 guys in the NFL. Like we were killing it. And I walked away from that to open up a gym because I thought like this, I really like we had been doing it over the summer as a part-time business for four years and then essentially got too big, got booted out of BU. 
and walk in on the first day and we train like six people. And I'm like, holy shit, this is, did I do the right thing? And like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm getting at. So it says right here, first day we're open, I trained six kids. But then a decade later, a decade later, during my last two summers at um, MBSC, we're training about 450 kids a day. I think that, it, I, that might be, so it might be like 200, we were training 250 kids a day, okay. 250 kids a day, which is just also, so you think about like 10 groups of 20 kids, you know what I mean? At two hours a pop. Cycling through that. And you're just yeah. like, holy cow. And that's also, that's one of the great negatives. You know, like yeah. we had the first kids I got to know so implicitly, implicitly, like, you know, everything you're going to games, you're a part of their lives. These kids are making incredible strides. We're also not only are we the only place that trains athletes in town, we're really the only place in the country at the time that's doing it. And then you get so big and like, I'm in, I'm the hands-on guy. I'm training every day. That's not Mike. That's not Bob. It's just me and our staff. And like, all of a sudden, Hey, you, in theory, you bring more people in, you make more money. Uh, we didn't level up like that. We were very good at the training and very average at the business and it didn't scale. And they've done a much better job scaling it since I've left. But I, the part I liked was the intimacy and the development. And that certainly, as we got bigger, disappeared quickly. Well, that's what I was getting to is into the whole point of what made me ask this question is when you said, I miss the relationships, the growth and the shared experiences. So, you know, I'm, I'm imagining yeah, I like that. That, that sounds awesome. That's exactly yeah, right. I miss, I miss, I miss the, uh, it says I wanted to continue. Well, you say basically, uh, do you want me to read to you? What, so the evolution. Yeah, I, I mean, that sounded great. Just keep, yeah, the, the keep evolution, the, the evolution and growth from a business standpoint was awesome. But many athletes I'd spent hours with on a daily basis, year after year, were now just getting a hello and goodbye. And I wanted to continue to be a coach and a mentor, not a conductor, just moving people around. I miss the relationships, the growth, and the shared experiences. I have no idea where you got that from, but if I wrote that, that sounds great. That's uh, from your website. That's your bio, P.S. on your website. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I got to go well, to the website. That's the personal journey part. Yeah. So, okay. so, so this is my whole point, though. So being in your gym, one of the things that I recognize is that it's very hands-on that you're up, like you're up in their business. Like, hey, what time did you wake up? Hey, did you eat breakfast this morning? Hey, did you do this? Hey, did you do that? It's so much more than just you know, four sets of this functional training, we're going to go over here and hip stretch, like whatever. I mean, like sure. this really is a comprehensive approach to what you do. And I'm laughing as you're talking because all of the things that you're saying about how I'm not a fit for everybody. And because there is a certain amount of I don't know if I feel comfortable using the word expectations, but there is a certain uh, amount of, like you said, structure and you have a certain particular process and you have there's a standards. Of, yep. Yep. Like standards. Once, you've been, once you've been there, once we get to know you, there's standards, you got to, you got to do your part. Yeah. Without question. And I, and like I said, some people could consider that negative, but keep going. Yeah, no, no, no. So, and I, so, um, I just, it was unlike any other gym I'd ever been in. And I, and I got to say this, I don't know if I ever told you this. So your partner, uh, Mr. Damon, the lovely Mr. Damon. Jamie, Jamie, Jamie is awesome. He's the best. He is certainly the lifeblood of our business without so, question. Yeah. So just tell us what, what Jamie's role, role, I mean, I'm sure multifaceted, but what's his main role or whatever he does then? Uh, it's tough too, because it might be um, my energy and my mojo, so to speak, but 
like in terms of why the business does so well, that's all him. Like we've been together now a decade and it's the, the he walked into our gym one day in a collared shirt and khaki pants and we'll never let him forget it. And uh, he was so stiff and, and like, honestly, it's the reason why it's still fun every day because uh, one, he's nothing like me. He's got a bigger heart. He's, a, he's more patient. He's got, uh, he'll listen. Like he's great um, in that regard. And he's like, he's a, he's a kind person that wants to see people do well, but also himself like walks the walk. He's never been in the decade I've known him. He's never not been in shape. He does a ton of reading outside of the gym. Um, if nutrition's a rabbit hole, you want to go down, he'll bring you back. Um, he's smart enough to know why certain chemicals work, but also practical to know like that doesn't matter if you can't put your phone down. So there, yeah. there isn't really a limit to his abilities. And I don't think for one second, he's overshadowed in this gym. And it's a little bit like when I used to work, people used to ask me all the time when I work with Mike, like, aren't you mad that he's never there? Or his name's like on the building. And I'd be absolutely not. Like I, I used to think like, man, I got this opportunity to do what I do and get better at it and grow at this rate. And now I feel like you learn from previous relationships that I've got like a true partnership. 100%. And listen, when I was commuting back and forth to LA, the gym didn't survive because I was cashing movie checks. The gym survived because Jamie was in charge. And so that part, like it's a, it's an easy one. And when someone says, who's the most important person in the gym, listen, if I went away for a month, the gym would still be great. If Jamie goes away for a week, I'm like, holy shit, when you back. Yeah. So like, it's not, that part is really easy. And it's also wonderful. Like, and again, part of it is you learn from previous relationships. I'm excited the more good people I meet in our field. And I just think, and certainly I, you can comment about a thousand other fields, but in our field, like the pettiness, the envy, like this person gets this, that person gets that, why not me, et cetera. Like uh, just, if you want to pay attention to the neighbors, there's plenty of opportunities, but when you want to appreciate the people next to you and be like, man, this is awesome. Then you have those opportunities as well. It's a simple choice. Yeah. I mean, Jamie's fantastic. Hold on. My bunny's going crazy. Hold on. One second. Sure. Come here, Louie. Come here. You got Lou. Come. You got you got oh. you got big Lou. Let me see him. <laughs> well, I got Lichen and I got Lou. Okay. They're just chilling right here. <laughs> we'll get to the dog. That's one of my questions. We're gonna sure. get to we're gonna get to gym dogs. Okay, but so two things. So one, I was laughing. I'm gonna get back to Jamie in a sec, but the point I was trying to make earlier is that the things that you are talking about in your field. I can easily just say the same thing about spiritual mentoring, right? Is like people like not for everybody, my style, right? Like what you're saying is standards, particular things. And really what we're talking about is discipline. And one of the things that I often say, and I don't know who first said it, um, but like discipline leads to freedom. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. So they resist, they resist doing the shit they know they need to do. And a lot of times they wish they could just have the results of the outcome without actually having to put in the time, right? So mm -hmm. it's the same thing spiritually, mentally, emotionally, is, is it, it, which is also things that you do. And I often say to you, and you kind of like look at me like, yeah, whatever. But it's like the work that you're doing in a lot of ways is spiritual work. Uh, we don't call it that. You might not call it that, but I'm telling you what's happening in your gym. But back to Jamie. So when I was there that day, so I had come down uh, for those of you who are listening right now, like I brought one of my one-to-one -one, um, clients down to his gym just to observe because she was doing CrossFit. She was doing a lot of things, but I said, if you want a dose of inspiration, if you want to see how it's done right, how to work with people, motivate people, train people, talk to people, 
I'm like, you have to meet my friend Walta. So like, and I'm a night owl. So we, I often joke, like there'll be times when I'm like, you, you for like 20, I don't even know how many years, 20 years you get up at like 3.20 AM. Is that like your wake up time roughly? I think unfortunately I'm 25 years deep through 3.20 to 3.25, yeah. Right. So a lot of times it's like I would be going to bed practically and I'd be like, oh, Walt's getting up right now. (laughs) I would just shake my head like what is happening? It just makes me laugh. But um, so we go to the gym and it's early and I'm just kind of watching what is happening. And I'm noticing how like it's almost like this vibe. Now, these might not be your words. And then I'm going to get back to Jamie, but these might not be your words. But there's a sense of if you show up on time, you're late. So I notice, well, people are getting there like 10 minutes early. They're getting their shit together. They're ready to get not on the floor. They're doing a thing. And then all throughout the day. So I literally watched you. I think I was there for like 10 hours. And like, I watched the whole day unfold. And my client is just like, um, you know, looking at me and like, what the fuck? And I'm like, I know it's incredible, right? Just the way it is a well-oiled machine. But there is, there is, um, I'm trying to think of the word. So first of all, you walk in and it's like right up on the wall. First of all, you see these names, which I want to know what the names are about in a minute. But you also see this big thing like, let's get better. Like right Mm -hmm. away, we know. All right, we're here to like get better. And then throughout the day, and it's fascinating because you have like, I don't know who was there that day. I remember a few people, but on any given day, you have like the 5 a.m. group, right? Which is a mix of like adults. But then you have like, Sometimes you have like hardcore athletes in the gym, maybe a professional athlete. The day that we were there, so Jamie's cousin is Matt Damon, who you've mm-hmm. trained. Also, you've cha- trained like Ben Affleck and Casey Affleck and Jennifer Ghana and a bunch of other cool. people, right? So Matt happens to be in the gym that day and that's really cool and fun. And I just thought, this is it. Now, I had no idea he was going to be there that day, but I'm like, this is a perfect like snapshot of the day of any given time of who can be in the gym. And one of the things that I love is that just because you're famous or whatever, now I can't say what happens on set, like you doing 10 movies with Ben, but in your gym, like everybody is treated the same, right? Like everybody Mm -hmm. just goes to the wall, hits the thing, does all this stuff. And I just thought it was fascinating how a microcosm like that can exist because it could be really easy for people to get intimidated when they're like maybe, you know, 17 years old and they're like, oh my God, that's a movie star. Or like, oh my God, that's an Olympic athlete or whatever. So I want to talk about how you kind of create that kind of a safe container where even people who are used to being treated special come in and they're just like everybody else, number one. But let me just finally make my point about Jamie. I'll never sure. forget being in the gym and that day. And I was just kind of watching you like back at people in your neck, you know you're doing your thing and you're like you know yelling whatever and I just like laugh because it's like I've known you for so long right so I look over at Jamie and I'm like this guy huh and he looked back and he's dead serious and he says there is nobody he goes there is nobody in our business who is better on the floor who is better at doing what he's doing right now than Walt he's like there's nobody better and I don't know if I ever told you that but I always think it's important that we tell people I'm looking at your billboard behind you with all the letters sure. and the notes and the whatever. I think it's yeah. really important. And we're going to talk about that too, about saying positive things, because mm-hmm. you and I, like we, we differ a little bit in this opinion, but, um, sure. but I thought it was important that you know that in case I never told you that. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, it's I'm also glad that I said all that nice stuff about Jamie before you told me that too. <laughs> so that part is cool. I don't, I mean, the cool part about walking in the gym is 
you got to set intention and hopefully that happens well before you open that door. You know what I mean? So whether it says let's get better or, you know, choice challenge change or today is your day. What, I mean, the cool part in these days is it doesn't, you can find a phrase that fits your, um, it can put it on a piece of wood. You can tattoo it on your arm. Like you, it shit doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like it's not hard and it might work for a day. It might work for a month. It might work for your lifetime. You know, there's buzzwords, there's phrases, there's mantras. It doesn't matter because if it helps you and it fits you at that point in your life, it's great. But the idea is that, you know, we're, we're all currently, anybody listening to this podcast right now is currently undefeated. They've woken up every day. You know what I mean? Like, so we're all waking up with a win. And so you get this choice and it might not be your choice based on your socioeconomic level might not be like, man, I get to work out and take it easy today. Like we get some nice cars in our parking lot. You know what I mean? We're, we're a luxury item, but we also like, we've never turned down someone based on that's the cool part. Since we opened, never turned out a single person based on their ability to pay. Hey, can you show up all the time? We'll set like very strict structure and the opportunity is the same. Oh, you can only make it at this point. Great. And that's why I also like on one hand, I love when our kids can just train over the summer because that college experience is special. And on the other, when they're working two jobs and busting their ass, I like it even more. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's, there's more common ground, but I really love the idea that we have this, this choice to make the most of it. And that doesn't really know an age. So I, people, I think always say like, Oh, you get time to grow into it or they'll get it when they get older. And I haven't seen that to be true. Like, I, I think at some point you've got to be open enough to, uh, to take in new information, to accept criticism, to uh, believe in this, in the success you've already had, whatever it is, but you have to be open enough to take new things in. Cause uh, mm -hmm. like we have some really type a hardworking people. And the problem is for them is that that's the only tool they ever go to in their toolbox yeah. is like, I'm just going to work hard, just going to work hard. And I think there's nothing like the two ends of the spectrum that really like the people, like they call themselves determined when they're really stubborn. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> And, yeah. or, uh, they like, I don't know, what do you want to do? Like, Oh, whatever you want is fine. So I think when you don't change your opinion, like, uh, that's not a person I want to be around when you don't have one. That's also a person I don't want to be around because you've probably done something to get to that point that you should believe in. So one of my big pet peeves is when people have success, but don't give themselves any credit for it. You know what I mean? They've gotten to this point. It wasn't by accident. So either if some, if you're like, Oh, I owe it all to this person. Cool. What did you learn from them? Like, how do you honor them? Like, how are you moving forward with their, either their memory or that imprint in your head? And then when people don't change a thing and expect success, uh, again, I'm not interested in um, the same conversation, the same mistake, the same, hey, this is some dumb shit. I, I had a conversation with somebody today. They're uh, participating in the 75 hard challenge and they've been hurt six times. Yeah. And I'm just like, Woo. Like, would you stay on a diet where you got sick every day? You know, like, would you keep driving your car and getting the same flat tire? But like, oh, I got to stay with it. I got to, I committed to it. And that's when you're not learning at all from the process or you're not learning day to day. And yeah. they say, oh, I made it through, but are you better or worse for it? Right. You know, so it's, and I don't, I, I like it when people commit to something, but I think like, uh, and we talk a lot of times about, you know, um, plan, act, evaluate, et cetera. But you got to evaluate. Like you can't just plan, act, go. And then like, I would, I like repeatable success. I like avoidable failure. But I mean, at some point 
you got to get a little smarter as we go. So if you're the hardest worker in the room, then you got to learn if you just like doing hard shit. There's a difference between being a hard worker because a hard worker can will take their approach and say, I got to work on this now, or I got to work on that now, as opposed to just liking doing hard shit and getting a sweat. And I think people far too often say like, oh, I'm a hard worker when they just like doing hard shit. And there's a big difference between the two because they're not doing the hard work in the other parts of their life or from a personal standpoint that would take them so much further. They just are confusing like the, the adjective versus what they just like to do. And yeah. I think, you, you know, so it's, it's in that regard, I think most of the time, if we're not spending some time looking in the mirror with some self-awareness, I think it's really tough. Like I, I always say, I think awareness and perspective are the two greatest things in the world. You know, they just reset us every day. And I think like part of it for me, because I know I am wired a bit different and I never say that in a way that makes me think like, oh shit, that makes me better. It, I literally have to understand that I am different and my experiences have shaped me to get to this point. Yeah. And I want to appreciate other people's, but I also want like, I would rather people had a little more tough in a moment, a little more grind, a little more like shit. I, I've gotten some shit done and I've got more to do because I don't love complacency. I don't I love know. when people just yes. say, yes. you know, they're, they're like, if we get in the pool, we want to swim to the other end. There's no sense in treading water. But I also understand that like for people, they, they've got to have a plan where like, it can't, it's not 12 months. I'm just going to get better for 12 months. And then the next year starts and I get better you know, hey, I'm going to get better. I'm going to hold steady. I'm going to get better. I'm going to hold steady. But that plan has to be a plan, not just like, oh, as soon as this work project's done, as soon as my uh, partner's not going through something, as soon as I get over this hump, because the humps are always there. Always there. I want to I wanna go back. And usually the question that I ask at the very beginning of a show when I have a guest is, and you talked about it. So you, you are wired a little bit differently. You are different. And I always think like when I have somebody on the show, it's like, okay, fancy pants. You did this, you did this, you did this. This is all great. Um, and, and, and here's the thing I always say, it's not that I'm not interested in people's success and how amazing they are and the accolades and all that. What I'm always most curious about is how did we get there? So sure. tell me a little bit. So before I knew you at 19-ish, Right. What were you like as a kid? Tell me about, tell me about, cause I know your parents. I knew, you know, I knew your parents. Um, so all, as I would say, all three of them. <laughs> so yeah, tell sure. me about um, what you were like as a kid and were you aware that you were wired differently back then? And, and I'll just let you tell the story. I'll say my own things that I want to say about your parents afterwards, but tell me a little bit about little, little Walter Norton Jr. Well, I mean, little Walter Norton Jr. was probably still alive at 32, you know, yeah. so I was very late to mature and like you keep learning, but you're also like, Jesus Christ, why did it take so long? And now that's why I'm a big believer. Like, I think patience is grossly overrated. Like, I think process is really important, but just waiting for shit to happen is a waste of time because when I was young, I had some really good mentors. I had a couple of great coaches. I had a couple of people that looked at me in particular, when I was, I don't know, 12 years old and was like, hey, that's bullshit. You can't do it like that. And it helped, but it didn't help enough. Like it just, there was so much of a process that was delayed or that was late. And then it's a little bit like I tell people I played football and quarterback. And you, when you see the field as a quarterback, you like a lot of times people see like a receiver run a route and you're throwing the ball to that receiver. 
But when you get good at the game, you see these levels. You don't see the people right in front of you. You see these like 3D levels. And then you see the spot where they're going as opposed to where they are. And you see people moving and you can tell based on how they turn or what they move, where they're going. And you can do the same thing now with behaviors. Like a lot of times I find some things that are far too predictable for, especially for people that have done the same things again and again. But at when I was young, I was around some really good people because my dad was so aggressive in doing so. So my mom and dad split up really early. I don't know how they ever got together. My dad was fairly charismatic. My mom was a really nice person. Um, but, but wait, how old were you when they when they were divorced? Six, seven? Yeah. Maybe seven. Like my, I was born while my dad was in Vietnam. Uh, and so one of the things I clearly didn't learn from my parents is they had me when I was 21. I had my first child at 47 or 48. So I clearly didn't learn that. Um, but um, my dad... Uh, one of the interesting things that he did early on. So we're being raised by single parents at the time. My dad has custody and he says, Hey, uh, my, our grandfather was, uh, didn't think the right way. He was clearly a little bit of a bigot, old way thinking. My dad goes to Vietnam and realize color, ethnicity, choice doesn't matter. It's all about like, who can you rely on? Who can you trust? And realizes like at 21 years old or 20 years old, he also loses 148 pounds while he's in the service. Um, and they do things obviously a little bit differently back then, but he goes in at 380, comes out at 240, 230, uh, and says, we're moving to Mattapan. We're going to go to a school system where Caucasian is the fifth highest ethnicity. And you're going to, we're going to live in the city and we're going to be the only white family you need to, I'm, we're not going to wait. We're going to, we're going to fix this right away. The same day, my dad went to Vietnam um, my, my on my mother's side, my uncle uh, went to Canada and to avoid the draft while my dad was enlisting, my uncle went to Canada. And so that shows you also like that they had people in the family that could agree to disagree, which I think is really cool. My uncle was also openly gay and out at that point. And you can imagine in 1968, that's not super or as accepted as it should be. Mm -hmm. And then when my dad comes back, not only do we have do we, do we go to school in downtown Boston and we get bus to school? So during se desegregation in Boston, we're going the opposite way. Yeah. You know, we're, um, and so that part is great. But then my dad's babysitter is this woman who really shaped my life as well. Uh, Karen Crowell, later Karen McDonald, and she's an, an out lesbian, which is great too. So I don't know any different. So I'm wickedly, wildly liberal. And so if some people turn out, not, tune out now, that's absolutely fine. But- <laughs> Uh, like, I just don't, I can't understand why some people aren't more open and tolerant. Like that's, that'll always be a clear deficiency on my part. Cause I don't get why people don't see things a little more open or a little more like, how the fuck does that affect you? Yeah. So, um, but I, I, and again, if you've only learned one way on the other side of that, I get how some people, if they've, if they've been, so we, we were open and honest and, uh, all encompassing really, really young to yeah. overcorrect what my dad had been through. And my mom was just a kind, gentle soul, oh. as was um, her, the person she remarried, who's still like maybe the kindest person I've ever met. But like that you grow up like that and that's all you know. So I also have sympathy for, we see a lot of young kids. You know, the, I said that the oldest person I trained is 70, the youngest person I probably trained is 13. And they, they listen, whatever they think is just a function of their parents. And so, you know, like we always say, like, you got to get away from your parents a little bit to open up the world. If you give, you don't judge a kid by their parents, 
unfortunately, you do judge parents by their kids. But um, <laughs> but like all we know is open and wide and out. And so whereas now I'm like for an adult, I just don't have the time to spend with people that don't have that kind of open mindset. Um, but for kids, I'm going to spend a lot of time being like, tell me how you got there. Yeah, walk me through that decision. Yes. So you think this is better than that? And I, I got all day for that. But, and it's not because I feel like left is better than right or Democrat is better than Republican, but I do certainly feel like people are people. And if you're shutting some doors ahead of time, life gets really narrow and that hallway gets really crowded really quickly. So I grew up with three parents that uh, don't care who you are or what color you are or who you love. They just want to make sure that the world is a better place. They care about my brother and I quite a bit. Um, I'm more than I'm, quite a bit. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're, they're tolerant. They're open. They let us make mistakes. It's great. And uh, sadly, my mom passes away when I'm 25, breast cancer, watching my stepfather take care of her for the four oh, years. You're going to make me cry now. Sorry. Well, I'll cry too. But watching my step, watching my mom be sick was tough because you watch somebody die in front of you. And that process was pretty amazing because you, when you're really selfish and you're living your whole life through your own eyes, and then you realize like, shit, someone you care about that's been a part of your whole life is going to pass away and die. Because it's at the time, you know, it, we thought, oh, she's going to make it. She's not. It's this wild roller coaster up and down for four years. But my stepfather's not riding that roller coaster. My dad was sick. He's got PTSD. He thinks about life a different way. He's not allowed to work. He's got major drug problems. He was a heroin addict. He was a crack cocaine user. He's a cocaine user. He fortunately beat a lot of those addictions, but he was smoking marijuana every day long before uh, the dispensaries opened uh, everywhere down the street. Mm -hmm. And on my parents' side, on my mom and stepfather's side, watching my stepfather take care of my mother, just maybe the greatest educational moment of my life. Um, it's also why my first son is named McIntyre. I named my first son after my stepfather. And fortunately, we named my second son after my dad and my wife's dad, which is amazing. But uh, like you just learn so much. And that's why I tend to think you you learn People are always like, oh, you learn you when you have success, you learn. Or people ask me about the years. I was with the Celtics for five years. We went a championship the last year. I learned more the year before when we were the worst team in the NBA. I had one of the greatest times of my life. I learned about development. I learned about relationships, humans, et cetera. It was awesome. And I learned, but you you learn, you just learn different things. And to think like you're only open to learning. I, there's plenty of people I don't like in this world. I still think I can learn from them. You know, so I just think it's really tough when we, we have a closed mindset in every sense of the word, but it would do, you know, like, so I've been alive longer without my mother than with my mom. Me too. Uh, I, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, my stepfather, I gave the eulogy at his, and you were there for that, which was so cool. And uh, that was one of the more powerful things I've ever done emotionally because I got to talk about someone who was great to me, but was just so much better to my mom. So I always said like, uh, like whatever Paul did after my mom, it wouldn't matter. You know what I mean? It just wouldn't matter. He had already, he was at sainthood. There was no going yes. back. And, and then even my dad, I came to appreciate my dad much more in dealing with his life. And he passed away a couple of years ago. And I remember thinking like, and I, I've probably, the biggest thing I've learned to do is live with regret much more because there's so much undone with my father. I've learned to live with my mom's death. I've learned to love what I've learned from my stepfather. So 
his passing doesn't trouble me as much as uplift me, but my dad's passing and sudden death gives me so much regret every day that I'm trying to use it as motivation all the time. Um, and quite frankly, it's something that I haven't not thought about. Like it's literally in me every single day. And so that's probably been the most powerful thing in my life. And uh, I probably wasn't ready for it when it happened in terms of to be that powerful. And I probably wasn't ready to look back on the five years before that and be like, holy shit, how many days did I waste or how many better opportunities could there have been? I mean, the last conversation my son McIntyre had with my dad was through a screen because he was dealing with some uh, viral issues and he had to talk to. And so my dad didn't get to hold him. My dad didn't get to love him. I I didn't get to hug my dad before he died. And there will be so many things that I miss. And I still, like I drive to Brookline, uh, I'm fairly uh, a creature of habit. So I go to the same person who's cut my hair for a long time. Uh, Shout out to Shelly. She's amazing. (laughs) But I go to Brookline to get my hair cut every 14 to 17 days. And I drive by my dad's old house and I beep the horn and I drive home and I beep the horn and every day. And I still get teary thinking about it. And it's because I have to, it's not because even I want to, because I, I probably do, but I have to, because I'm just like, Jesus, like if, if I don't use that regret as fuel, it will bury me. Like it'll, it'll burn me down. And there's been plenty of days where it almost has, but I try to think of it now. That's like, Hey, there's no snooze. There's no wasted time. There's a reason why 323 is not so early because I can just get up because I got shit to do because I've missed so many other opportunities mm-hmm. to get stuff done. <sighs> yeah, yeah, I need that too. <sighs> I can't think about your dad and your mom and Paul without <laughs> getting emotional. Sure. Uh, they were, I mean, even your dad in all his dadness, <laughs> I mean, mm. your dad was a special breed, man. He was a character. Mm-hmm. And he and I stayed in touch even after you and I split up. And so I would, I don't even know if you know this. I don't know if you and I ever talked about this, but I would go and visit him and, and we would talk and you know, he, he was somebody now, given my own experiences in life, growing up where I did and how I did, I was already a different thinker at that age too, but your father thought, your father thought differently than anybody else I had met up until that point. And I remember I would leave his apartment and I would be like, some, my brain would always feel a little scrambled. And part of it was, you know, um, Part of it was, I think, he has an intense, your dad was intense. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say, right? Your dad yeah. was an intense person. He didn't, he like got right to the point. So when you, if you weren't used to getting that kind of um, perspective or feedback or, and he was very kind to me too. I don't, don't get me wrong, but your sure. dad was just direct in a way where I was like, no bullshit. Like he pulled no bullshit. So you were, he was very clear in his communication about what he thought. And then over here, your mom and Paul, like they just took me under their wing and into their hearts at a time when I really needed support and help. And I always say to you, no offense to you, but one of the best things that ever happened from dating you is I got to meet your parents. I feel like and, a lot of people can say that. No, yeah. And your brother and your brother, Al, too, like being welcomed into the home. And of course, knowing you as well. But you know what I mean? Sure. Your mom and Paul were some of the Paul taught me more about. How to pay attention. <clears throat> how to listen 
how to not judge. Mm-hmm. I mean, Paul was literally, your mom was, they have a presence. Like I, I talk about, <clears throat> there are people in the world who, when you're, so St. Francis of Assisi, I don't know if you know who he is, but St. Francis of Assisi is the patron saint of animals in the environment. And for St. Francis, he used to just go out into the woods and he would preach to like the animals and the trees and the birds. And, and he was known to like, supposedly have like, um, tamed this wolf just with his kind. It's like this whole big thing, but I love him. And every year on my birthday, it's the, the blessing of the animals. And it happens on my birthday. It's so appropriate right, for me, oh. which I love. But here's the thing. St. Francis is famous for this quote that says, go out and preach and sometimes use words. And what that's saying is, is you just sure. go out and you be, right? Be that person. And your mother and Paul had that quality where just in their presence, you were somehow transformed by the quality of who and how they were in the world. Mm-hmm. And I will, uh, whatever, I could do a whole show. I literally, I, I, I'm not just saying that. To, I could do a whole show on what I learned about being around them. And I'm so, to this day, I'm so grateful uh, to both of them. And I was crushed, crushed. I, to this day, I remember exactly where I was sitting um, when I found out when you told me over the phone that your mother had died. Uh, I was in, uh, in California at the time. And it just, it just rocked me. And I remember just try, on the phone trying to like be strong and like, yeah, the whole thing. So anyways, your parents played a powerful role. And I think you even said that at the funeral, you're like, like right away upon Paul's, the announcement of Paul's death. You said like six of your ex-girlfriends or something like reached out because we all had such a soft spot in our hearts for him. And um, yeah, so anyways, you were raised by some good people. And when you talk about though, like you were a late bloomer, late to mature, what do you think that was about? Like, did you just have a particular way of processing? Because your brother, Al, <clears throat> who I love, and Al and I got along great. He's incredibly creative. He's smart. He's a great writer. Um, you know, Al and I just, you know, he went off and he did City Year and he's always been very sure. giving and whatever. But you guys were really different, even as kids. So I would come into the house and it'd be like, Al would be over there like reading or creating, doing whatever. And then you were like over here hustling, doing all your stuff. So like, what, like, what am I trying to say? What do you think made your brain or whatever, how you saw the world this late to mature? What do you think that was about? Well, it is just to go back for one second. My dad's intensity and energy could turn up the heat. But my mom and Paul's kindness could melt you the same way. And when you talk about like, my dad wouldn't let you, my dad had a lot to say and my parents and mom and Paul would listen forever. And it is interesting because that that dichotomy is so different. And then it makes a little more sense when my brother and I are so different because I I love my brother, but I can't stand the way he thinks. You know, I just can't stand like, I don't know some of his decisions, some of his thoughts. I still love him and I love him unconditionally. I want him to, to be better and do better. And I think he's even capable of more um, than he is, but part of it is just letting him be him, but it is nuts because I mean, we look at very, we, we think some of the same things are absolutely hysterical. We love to giggle and laugh. um, And we have like a very good time together. The 
difference is, is like when words come to us, we're, we interpret them very differently. Yes. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I wish I could pinpoint why I thought about things differently, but I would say there's probably a point you've made enough mistakes where you just get tired of making the big ones, you know, or like there, it, it like, Everybody wants that aha moment, like, oh, flip the switch and go. And the problem is, is like, a, you know, we get, I got a thousand lights on and some of them flicker, some of them go on, some of them go off. The problem is, is that um, it's never like this massive shutdown and then they all, and then you're like, oh man, let's walk to the light, you know? <laughs> so um, I think I just got tired of being less than I could be. And yeah. I got tired enough where like, fuck, I want to be, I want to be more today. You know what I mean? Um, When I leave our conversation, I'm going to go home with our kids. And one of the big things is like, I want to be a great dad, but oftentimes that means I'm going to like, uh, I got to be involved in their life. I got to look at them. I got to talk to them. I got to be there with them. That doesn't mean check my phone. That doesn't mean make sure like I got something in the oven because I'm hungry and I don't give a shit about the kids or it means like I got to be present and there or checking, you know, the, the score of the football game on TV. And those are what sound like simple choices. But in the moment, I think those are the choices that we're, we're losing far too often. Like mm-hmm. we're worrying about what's going on here. What am I going to miss? I'm a, I'm a very big or historically I used to, I've watched a thousands of movies. I've watched thousands of TV shows. And in the last three years, maybe five years now, I've watched almost none. And there are some moments where I'll watch it, but I don't feel like I'm missing anything. And the quality, I'm someone who wants to watch more, who thinks there's a bunch of things out there, who thinks there's a bunch of things I'd really enjoy. But if I'm at the gym at 4.15 and I'm picking up my kids at 4.45 and I've only got X amount of hours with them, but I know what time I'm getting up, there's a very small incremental time. And the longer I extend that space, the harder it is to be really good at the things I say I want to be good at. Cause I do want to be a great dad. I do want to be a great partner to my wife and I do want to be a great coach. How, like, even that sounds like a long list, you it know? So a, it is so, it's a lot of moving pots. Yeah. And so like, Oh, what will suffer? Well, I was earlier this year in uh, arguably as good a shape as I'd been in, in 10 years. But now my wife's hockey season started. So instead of being like, shit, I love the way I look. I love the way I feel. Something's going to suffer because my wife was so good about giving me some freedom earlier in my career. Now she's a head coach. The least I can do as a partner is do my part. And as it is, she still is too giving. You know what I mean? And uh, like, hey, uh, Jamie's got a a child. And so I got to you know, do a great job while I'm here. I've got to set the gym up for success. And for our kids, um, like there's a bunch of things that I want to be great at. And though I have to be very aware of what I'm not going to do. And so those choices I'm very comfortable making, but even in the moment, what's my phone say, who liked this, what's going on? Oh, did somebody text me as opposed to, Hey, put that shit down. There'll be time for it. And if not, I didn't miss anything because the, the best part of my life is right in front of me almost all the time. Yeah, it's incredible. And, uh, you know, Liz is amazing, too. And I want to have her on. I want to have her on the show, too. Uh, I mean, so much I could say about Liz, too. I mean, she's an incredible role model, I think, for the younger, especially female athletes in the gym. She's a smarty pants, right? She went to Princeton, super smarty pants. 
So oh, assistant yeah. coach at Harvard, right? Assistant coach at BU and now mm -hmm. head coach at Dartmouth women's hockey. She's brilliant. She's beautiful. She puts up with you. No, just kidding. You know what I'm saying? But she's an incredible mom. And that's one of the things, you know who Jesse Itzler is? Yeah. Yeah. So Jesse always says he's got a, he's got a mantra or a saying, or it's more than that because he lives it. And he says, never too tired for my kids. Mm -hmm. And he said, they're only going to be this age once. I don't care what's going on. If I come home and they want to do something, we're doing it type of a thing. And I just think like, oh my God. And the way you and Liz have been able to make this all work because a part of your career, you did do 10 films with Ben Affleck. You're, you were with him. You were like away in like Hollywood or flying back and forth or wherever Ben was. So Liz is at like at home doing her thing and helping out. Like all these things are happening. And now it's like, not that it wasn't always her time to shine because she was shining regardless, but now it's like you kind of holding down the fort so that she can go forward and have, you know, her moments. And, you know, I, I imagine it's got to be really tough. Like it's got balancing all of it. You know what I mean? And that, now you have two kids. And that was one of the things I wanted to ask you. And it can be a short answer or a long answer because I, I want to be mindful of your time because it's 11. Sure. But um has being a dad changed the way that you coach at all? Uh, yes, but losing my dad changed it more. Well, your dad was a coach growing up. Okay. I mean, he was one of your first coaches, correct? My dad and this guy, John Cawthorn, uh, coached together in Brookline for a long time. And this is before, like, everybody's parents coached. This is when you'd coach your kid, then let him keep going and stay and coach. And I was really lucky after my dad had us live in Mattapan, he moved us to Brookline because he thought the school system was great and the opportunities were great. He partners up with this guy, John Cawthorn, um, who's terrific. So they're a, in 19, I don't know, 78, they're a white and African-American duo coaching young kids and um, completely different people. And I think John was Harvard educated and he was brilliant. And my dad was uh, high school educated and not brilliant. And, uh, <laughs> but they were like such a pairing and John Cawthorn had a, a super impact. I mean, my high school basketball coach also, they were these, these hardworking African-American men that like looked at you right in your face and told you, you could be better. And you believed them because they could, they should, they told you what you could do better. They told you how to do it. They told you to go do it. And then potentially if you couldn't figure it out. And then when you did it, you'd go back and say, what else can I do now? Okay. Were, yeah, ahead. this is really important because this is one of the things I wanted to mention to you about how I think your style is different because I think so many of us, you know, there's a character on TV. He's also a character in books, uh, Hieronymus Bosch, Harry Bosch, and he's a detective. And whenever my sweetie and I would watch the series of him, we would laugh so hard because Bosch, like just, he, he was a man on a mission. He had a case and his... <coughs> His creed, like every man's got to have, every man's got to have, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, what's it, not a creed, this is another word, a code. Yeah. So his code is um, either everybody matters or nobody matters. Sure. So he's like, I don't care if you're a hooker, you're a this, you're a that, whatever, but you're a street person, whatever. If you get killed on my watch, whatever, I'm going to find the bastards who did it. So he treats everybody equally. But his other thing is, is that He's so into doing what he's doing is the niceties, like somebody hands him something, he never says thank you. Like he sure. just is on to the next thing. 
And one day my sweetie, you know, said something about it. And I said, and I thought of you, and this is why I'm telling the story. I said, sweetie, he doesn't say thank you because Harry doesn't believe in giving you credit for shit that you should do anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think we're in a culture where we want the pat on the head. We want the like, we want the whatever. So I remember that day I was talking about where I came to your gym and I brought, I brought my client. I'm sure I said that out loud. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, no, but what happened? Here's what happened. So I spend the whole day in your gym. Okay. And you introduce me to some people. I watch your process. I watch you yell at the kids and what, you know, in a, in a fun way, like, what are you, like, but serious, but fun, you know? Sure. And I know, cause I know you're doing it out of love, but at the end of the day, you're like, all right, we're going to have our team meeting. And I said, all right, I'll get going. And you're like, no, you were here all day. I want you to sit in on the team meeting. And then you said, I want you to tell us what we could do better. And I remember saying to you, well, here's what I loved. And you said, no, tell us what we did wrong and tell us what yeah. we could do better. And I said, can I at least just start? Because my style is, right? I lead with what I saw, what I loved, what I liked. And then we can get to these other things. And you go right to tell us how we can get better. So now as you're telling me about these men who have shaped you and formed you and molded you, I'm like, oh, this makes so much sense now. So can we talk a little bit about that? Because I remember it felt, and I'm, I'm fine with giving people pe- feedback, but I also was aware, like, you know, I just stepped into this joint, like, who am I to be saying anything, whatever. And maybe you just trusted my opinion or whatever, but what's the thing with wanting to, are you not interested in hearing what you already do well? Like, how are you at receiving a compliment? I, who has time for that? Like, <laughs> See, how does that make me better? Like, and I don't mean to be a dick, but like who, I know I do a lot of shit well, like my ego. So I, if, if I'm waking up every day, wanting to be the best coach I can be, let's start. I want to be the best coach in the world. Yep. Part of it is I have to think I'm the best coach in the world. <laughs> so I'm not worried about like, if somebody likes me or somebody likes that, or someone like thinks I do this really well. Part of it is I have to be consistent. Part of it is. I have to let people know there's a standard for them. And part of it is I don't, my ego in terms of like, oh, you're so great. Oh, you're so this, where the, no offense, where the fuck does that get us? You know what I mean? Like (laughs) it doesn't, it doesn't move the needle and I don't need like, uh, I gave this. So I, I officiated a wedding last week. I saw. And, um, after the ceremony, my wife was like, you did a great job. And literally, this is our conversation. So this feeds, unfortunately, right into what you're saying. Uh, and I said, cool, what well, could have been better? She said, no, it was great. Everybody around me. I was like, I, I don't care what everybody around you. What did you think I could do better? Should I talk slower? Should I made more eye contact? She goes, honestly, babe, you did great. And I said, okay, but is there something I could improve? And she <laughs> looked right at me and goes, I hate having these conversations with you because yes. you want to find something to improve on. And I said, yes, I do. Like, I don't want to hear everybody keeps coming up. Oh, you did a great job. Oh, you did this. Part of it is sometimes people just looking for things to say. They're looking for the easy way out. They're looking for like a, a like, a, oh, it's it's much easier or not to say nothing at all. I don't like, but, I don't want to do that. A possib- is there a possibility, right? Let's just, you, we started this whole thing about, I wish people could be more open-minded, right? I wish sure. people would. Is there a possibility that you just nailed it? that the hat was there, that, that, the, that you held a great container and the space was amazing. Is it possible 
that you just did a fucking fantastic job and leave it at that. Like what well, I feel like sometimes that's hard for you to just accept that you did a like, cause some of the things that you're talking about, could I talk slower? Could I talk whatever? I mean, I guess maybe, but that wasn't the point. The most important point was that you recognize the love between these two women, that you created mm-hmm. a safe container that they felt recognized that the room loved it. I saw the post. I, I people are like, I just know and knowing you and I'm like, so here's what I'm going to say, because the experience of that, when somebody's giving you that feedback, like, babe, like Liz, like you nailed it. What they're trying to do is love you. And when you're insisting, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze you. I'm just saying the experience of that is they're trying to like love you and tell you what they loved. And this was great. And then you're insisting on give me feedback. And it's almost like Wonder Woman, like going ping, 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 ping with her little bracelets and deflecting it. Even if it's not in your mind, a deflection, you think, well, the way that I like to be loved, part of it is like, you like being told what to do better. Mm-hmm. But for somebody who likes to love in a particular way where they just say, like, you killed it. Like, that was amazing. Like, if you would have come up to me after Paul's eulogy and said, what could I have done better? I would have just, I would have like punched you in the mouth. I would have been like, dude, it was amazing. Just like, leave it alone. You know what I'm saying? So, but what's that drive though? Like, what is that part? This is what I'm saying. This is one of the things that I think where you think really differently than other people. Cause most people are like, tell me what I did good. Like make me feel safe in the experience. You just go right for hashtag let's get better. First of all, I know my wife loves me. She's amazing. (laughs) I don't need her to love me that way. And more than that, like, hey, I wanna be aware cause the success of that event I play a very small role in, but I'm honored to play a part. And the the love, the energy was so authentic, so genuine, so cool, two great women. But and it's really cool. But I want to apply it to the next thing. I want I to apply you. it to the next thing. And I don't, I don't, I think most people like so. My wife said a lot of time, like she phrased it much better. She's like, you always think the truth is kind. So and I prop and I was like, well, shit, I wish I could have thought of that because that sums it up pretty well. Where she says that's not true of a lot of people. And I think the fastest way to get better is to understand where you are. And the fastest way to get better is to understand also, like people get so hung up and like, and, and this is a societal issue issue. One yeah. accusation, you're done. Oh, so yeah. my dad, and this is why I'm philosophically pro, uh, uh, opposed to this. Um I don't love the idea that an accusation, an unproven accusation wrecks you. And so even, and whether it's controversial, so whether it's me too or whatever, that had been said, there's plenty of people that like have gotten a pass based on sexuality, based on being a male, based on that, I understand. But the, the idea that if I say Karen was mean to me in a situation where potentially I misinterpreted you or I just disagreed with what you have to say, which I think happens more and more. Like, oh, you don't like me, so I don't like the fact that you don't like me. The the, the smaller societal issues, not the big part where people are holding other people down or actually doing terrible things. Um, But the idea that we can't just understand or somebody can't make a mistake and grow. You know what I mean? Like, Because my dad, in theory, is a felon. My dad um, was arrested multiple times uh, for possession of drug paraphernalia and too close to a school, et cetera. 
So if I can't believe that he would get another chance, and now fortunately, my dad probably got too many chances because he was a veteran. So, and that part was great. And he was in his hometown. So he, he, people knew him. Yeah. So he got a little bit of a pass and that part is great. But like, if I met somebody who was an ex-con right now, and we all have that line where it is, well, you know, there's a family that they did this or like, I'd love to think that if they, like society doesn't work, if you serve your time for a penalty, but then you get out of jail and you have to be penalized again and again and again yep. and treated as less than human. I don't know that that works. And that's if you're convicted in a court. Now you just get accused of something and somebody writes an article about it. And the Google search leads to that because it's the most controversial. So you're paying a price for something that was just a miscommunication. Or that my, somebody my, made up about you or said about yeah, you. So one of my favorite stories about that, and I'm not trying to minimize any, any real events, but I do think two different sides of the story or like it, because I was late to mature and immature and had anger or grudges. And now I'm like, it's a fucking waste of time. But there's a story about uh, the soccer player, David Beckham, on one of his last tours uh, to the U.S. with the English national team. And they're staying in a hotel in New York and he gets off the bus. He signs autograph for half an hour because there's thousands of people sure. there to see him. And he walks in and there's somebody from the post interviews, uh, three kids in wheelchairs that are towards the back. And they say, who are you here to see? And he's, they say, David Beckham. And they said, well, did you see him? And said, no, we never got a chance to see him. And the next day, the front page of the post is like Beckham snugs, snubs handicapped kids. The front page. And at some point, Beckham, months, years later, is talking about it, be like, I, I had no idea those kids were there. It's the front page of the post. And then in England, they run the same. And he had no idea. They interviewed the teacher. And the teacher says, yeah, I had no idea there were this many people. I didn't contact anybody. I just poured four kids. I work with the handicapped children. We put four kids on the bus. When we got here, we were overwhelmed in our van. We got here, we were overwhelmed. We had no chance of getting close. Beck, I've never talked to Beckham. He had no idea, et cetera. That's not, that's after the yes. fact. Yes. A week later, they put uh, like on page 36, Beckham had seen the story, found the kids, rented a private room, spent 35 minutes with them and, you know, made the kids' lives better, talked to them, posed for pictures, everything. Page 37, of week course. later. Because it's not going to sell papers and that's and the that, thing. And that that's 15, 20 years ago. And the shit that bothers me about that is like to think that, again, throwing stones or that we don't make mistakes or that as a coach, I have to believe that we make mistakes and learn. I have to. It's a fundamental belief. And if I think like the mistake defines you versus it inspires growth, then there's some real problems with that. So I have to believe that. And the problem is now is that one mistake often keeps you where you are forever because people won't let it go, even though they've made a thousand on their own. It's so true. And I love this conversation because, you know, one of, one of the guests that I had on my show, um, Andre Norman, Andre's a, a Boston kid, grew up uh, African-American. He ended up um, going to jail and he was supposed to have a life sentence in jail. And uh, he's known as uh, he created the Academy of Hope and he is an unbelievable human being. And when we were talking on the show, we, we talked about this very thing where I said, you know, I'm not a believer in um, whatever, putting people in a box or labeling people as being, uh, let's not define people by their worst mistake or their worst moment. And, 
And we were going back and forth, you know, talking about my mom, the guy that killed my mother, I went to prison, like the different prisons, like all this stuff. And then he said sure. to me, yeah, I imagine that he goes, there was a guy I knew in prison and he said, and he changed my life and I would not be who I am without him. And he goes, and so I'm sure though, that the family of the, the person that he killed, they feel about him very differently when I only know this person is this way. Sure. And I really believe, uh, how, how do I know that I believe that people can change? Cause I've fucking done it. Like when I think back to my evolution as a human being, like, I just think, thank God, first of all, how I'm still alive. Sometimes I think like the stupid decisions, the stupid shit I did. Sure. And I just think like, okay, here I am. And I've got to believe that we're capable of it too. And, you know, I'm a person, I, I, I totally hear what you're saying. I'm not a big fan of uh, trial by social media of how people like to, they just hear something and they just guzzle the Kool-Aid and they don't think on their own two feet. And even though I'm kind of like, you know, you know, questioning you about like, why do you do this or why do you do that? It's one of the things that I admire the most about you. You are so quintessentially you. You have your own thought system, you have your own beliefs and you have your own gym. So you can do it the way that you wanna do it. But I, I know the difference that you're making in these kids' lives. I know the difference by you holding their feet to the fire, talking to them, trying to get them uh, and trying to understand, like, like you said, asking those kids, well, how did you come to this belief? How did this come to be true in your head? Like, why do you think this? Why do you do this? And <clears throat> that's what I find most interesting about your gym. I know you can get people in shape. It's like, whatever, I've, you've done it for so long. It's sure. whatever. But I love the, that your gym is so much more than that, that they are getting emotional maturity training. They are getting spiritual work, whether you call it that or not. They are getting mindset training. They are being asked to be responsible. And this is one of the things, I, there's two questions I wanted to ask you. And at any point, if you need to go, you just tell me. Sure. But, but number one is, you know, I know you know who Tim Grover is, right? Yeah. So one time Tim Grover was on uh, an interview with Ed Milet and they were talking about Kobe and they were talking about hard work versus talent. And Ed was asking him about Michael Jordan and about Kobe. And Tim said, and you might've seen the interview, but Tim said um, they were not the most talented athletes that he had ever worked with. They were not the most naturally gifted, talented athletes he'd worked with, but they were the most hardworking. And he used the word competitive. He said they were the most competitive. You could not outwork them. And then he even said, and I think Kobe may have been, been even a harder worker in some ways than Michael Jordan. After watching the Michael Jordan documentary, I don't know how that's possible, but it boggles sure. my mind. So if you get a kid that comes to the gym, would you choose talent or I already know the answer, I think, but would you rather him be uh, naturally gifted, something to work with or hardworking? I mean, it's, the easy one, and I'll go back. I've met enough famous people now where, and I feel like this is true when you talk about gyms. Oh, they do things different. Oh, it's so different. They're like, people will hear those words and instantly in their head, they'll go like, oh, sure they do. Like, because they don't, very few people have like a comparable system set up. Like, so it used to be, like, I, we take our kids to Mass General whenever we can. It's the number one ranked hospital in the country. Um, it's amazing, but most people go to the single closest hospital and in an emergency, we might too, but like, there's no comparison set up. You know what I mean? So I don't like people, you'll say like a gym is great, but people haven't been to five gyms. People haven't been in five structured situations. People haven't been with five different doctors. People haven't been 
Like a lot of times the whole thing, like you have to have multiple partners to understand what you like in a relationship. Yes. But, you know, like people go to the closest grocery store, the closest, like, can, it's a, can, do you want convenience or do you want quality? Because they don't always match up. Like the circles certainly intersect, but they don't always. And so like with someone like Tim Grover, and I've met and seen Tim Grover. I'm always like, damn, he writes better than he is. Because, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, this is not like, oh, I'm better than him. Or I just no, think like, I, yeah, go ahead. you're like, I, I've had some interactions and I'm always like, frick, like, you know, the bio, unfortunately, doesn't match the goods every day. And or like in some cases, not it's it's diametrically opposite. So but the whole idea, like anybody can be talented. You just get the right parents. You know what I mean? Like I, I openly I kid with the kids sometimes. I tell them, like, I love my wife and she's amazing. But I dated two Olympic gold medalists before her two different ones, different sports. And one of the big reasons is I wanted to have athletic kids. You know what I mean? Like just straight up, like that's how shallow and stupid I was. Um, you know, different gold medals, different sports, both like great physical athletes, great size, great, you know, uh, great genetics, et cetera. And I was like, maybe this will work as opposed to like, you know, finding the best possible combination or somehow like that, that, that was, uh, the, the end result was going to be, that's a big deal. And in reality, I don't like, I don't, everybody walks in our gym. Now I've trained somebody worse and trained somebody better. You know what I mean? Like nobody's on either end of the spectrum. I've trained so many really good people that I'm like, oh, that's cool. But it's the, it's the variability that makes my job great. You know what I mean? Like, I love the idea that I get to train kids just starting people towards the end, a bunch of really talented people in between. And that's also the cool part. Like, I like that what we set up here has worked and done really well. And I like the fact that if I go train somebody one-on-one -on -one or work with a team, it's a different environment and we can make that work as well. Like part of it is the, it's not so much the challenge, just the opportunity. Like, oh, it's not a challenge. Like I got to get them to think the way I do. It's a challenge. Like, hey, how do we find the best possible outcome? And then, okay, we got here man, we, there was a couple steps back there. We really blew, check out the next round. You know what I mean? And you're moving forward. And when other people have success around me, I think one of the big things is you've got to find joy in people's small victories and big ones. Yeah. And so when you can find joy, every day is exciting. And so when someone says like, oh, 25 years of getting up at 320, like, so on, on Saturday morning, in theory, I don't have to be at the gym today until 6 a.m. But I wake up at 320, and I spend 10 minutes and then I'll go back to bed because I can calm down. Because usually when it's 3.20, I'm up, I'm ready to go. But if I spend 10 minutes, I can calm down and I slept till 4.45. And that's part of knowing me is not like, hey, don't set the alarm because I'm going to get up at 3.20. And so depending on the day, like I, I also know that uh, I can't go to bed at two and think like, oh, I have nothing till 10. I'll just sleep in. You know what I mean? That, that self-awareness. But the idea like with someone like Tim Grover, you meet a bunch of these famous people and you're like, damn, like shit, they, they've covered a lot up or, and again, I think Tim Grover's done some amazing things. So this isn't about Tim Grover, but there's, you know, whether like Matt and Ben are very different, but yeah. Matt's like one of the nicest humans I've ever met and Ben's one of the most brilliant. And, and I'm sure how to win friends and influence people. One of the parts that's always sticks out in that book is, 
you know, the story about the woman who sits next to two English prime ministers and one's the most in consecutive nights and one's the most amazing man she's ever met one night and the next night she feels like she's the most amazing woman on earth. Both have value. Both can be effective. That's why the cool part is like whoever you are and whatever you do, there's a path to get there. That hasn't been said. It's probably not always going to be the same path. And you probably have to have a skill set that you keep adding to. And if you're a hard worker, you can learn to apply that work to different things. If you're talented, you might never be able to apply any of that. And right, something that's really important. That distinction yeah. right there is really important. And so I also think uh, like I, we run a for-profit business. You know what I mean? Like I'm, it's all, all, everything we do is great, but we still have to make enough money to keep the lights on. We've got, you know, 8,500 square feet. We've got like a cool space. It's awesome. But the really talented people are of a small percentage of the population. So when you see, and I, I tell this story all the time in coaching, one of the first weeks I was ever at BU when we were just training kids over the summer, I trained this hockey player, Sergei Samsonov, whose dad had basically put him in a basement and made him into a great hockey player in Russia. And he came in and he did everything perfect for like the first two hours. And then I took three kids in that were going to a private school whose parents were very well off and the wanted, um, they were, you know, two brothers and a friend and they were trying to be better hockey players and they were not very athletic. So we got about an eighth as far as I did with Sergey Samsonov. I trained Sergey for two hours and then these three kids for two hours. But I was like, damn, I'm a great coach after coaching those three kids. Sergey Samsonov would have been a great coach if I wasn't even in the room. Yeah, or, you know yeah. what I mean? He, he makes anybody a great coach. But those three kids... And I kind of feel even the same way now is that uh, it's not like who's the strongest or who's the fastest, but who's growing the most. And I don't want, that's the other part is I don't want any credit for that. I want to unlock the door that gave you the opportunity to do it. And I want to help you in some cases, uh, like just peek around it because it's scary or kick it down because it's time to go. All right. So have, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I love everything that you're saying. And I have two final questions before I let you go. Sure. Well, it's really two and a half. So um, in this day and age, because when I look back to how we were parented and raised as kids, and even our lives were probably different. Um, you know, I always say we were, we were highly unsupervised back in the 70s and 80s. But now, like parenting has changed so much over the years. So when you, when you said the thing earlier where you said with kids, what you're really getting, and I'm paraphrasing, is like the influence of their parents. Mm -hmm. So nowadays, if, if you could, and this might be longer answers, but uh, I was just going to ask about the parent piece, but I'm curious about the kid piece now too. Blind spots. Uh, are there particular patterns of blind spots that you see most kids coming into the gym with? And then if there's a blind spot that you see most parents that they have where either uh, not necessarily they're dropping the ball, but just um, the way that kids are raised and stuff now, uh, how prepared do you feel like, never mind just for the gym, like, but is there a pattern that you're noticing because you've worked with thousands of people? Is, do you have any comments on that? Yeah. I mean, I think that changes based on what's going on in the world. You know what I mean? Like I think, so right now, a lot of the kids, um, they're, they're not aware that they're the, they have the politics of their parents. You know what I mean? So your three car garage determines like you want to vote for the candidate that 
um, you know, keeps your taxes down and that wants a good, uh, we got to keep a, a, a strong economic threshold and keep a certain embargo and this and that. And you're like, how the fuck does that affect you? Right. Pardon my language. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, oh, oh, cool. So that candidate, like you're, that's your role. That's your candidate. That's cool. That candidate has never voted, has voted against every gay, lesbian, LGBTQ opportunity that exists. So you're not with that? Here's what they want to do with immigrants. That's what you're down with? Like, oh shit, I didn't know. Good, then then don't say it. Then learn a little bit or be open. Or more than that, like they, like, hey, if you're going to wade in, you got to be ready to learn more as you go. Because yes. let's just say right now, that ocean for all of us, wherever we go right now, if I want to start uh, uh, with French cuisine tomorrow, the ocean's deeper than we think. But I'm either going to stay close enough to the shore and keep it, or I'm just going to keep swimming and keep learning as I go. And so for a lot of the kids, the, they're unaware that they are so strongly, their politics Biased. are from their parents. And then, you know, like, hey, uh, we had some great conversations yesterday in the gym that were pretty amazing. And, uh, and I giggle because our kids, like I, when, they, when I hear them genuinely laugh or open up, it's so cool. And it was college kids yesterday. Cause I'm like, Hey, 18 years old, you get treated like an adult. If you can't, if you're, if you're not ready, I totally get that. But uh, this also might not be the place for you and you've got to support it. And this is, we also have some kids that are out training with us. You know what I mean? So if you're not going to respect those views or you dis completely disagree with how they feel or who, what they do, but you better respect the shit out of it. So um, we're having a bunch of conversations. And I think part of it is like, what do you want? Do you want to be somebody who's, who's human, like far too often, there's two sides. There's the human side, then there's the, the economic policy side, the money side. And I'm just like, man, I'm a coach. So the human interaction side always wins for me. You know, like it, it just wins and I'm, I'm not going back on that. I won't apologize. But when you are making, when you're unaware about the repercussions of what you're saying, and then when you hear them aren't willing to change, I think that's one thing. So far too often we're adopting like so specific patterns relative to what's good for our families as opposed to like, the uh, whole. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think people just there because they don't, they learn to think for themselves. Like we obviously, you know, we have an adopted daughter, Nicole. Yeah. And when she was living with us, one of the hard parts is that she had been so, she had gotten so good at survival. Yes. Um, that she only thought about herself. You know what I mean? Like now, so now this shit just gets really weird. Oh, you got a drug addict, dad, Walter. You got a mom who died a long time ago. You got a father, a stepfather that was really kind that passed away. You got an adopted daughter. You got two kids as an old man. You got a bunch of dogs. You run a gym. You've done this. Like shit is weird. But like <laughs> she was so good at survival that she was terrible about thinking other people because sure. it, it, there was no benefit to it. I can relate and now, to that. Yeah. And yeah, so it's a great, it's a great example where we had to be really patient with getting her to think about the family unit. So I think like, Hey, if I want to be good as part of a family, and that's really important to me, then I've got to be great to my family. But the things that make me good as part of a family, I'd like to think make me good in my community and a good citizen of the United States and what I believe the United States to be. And I don't mind if somebody disagrees, but like I'm a coach. I've been in team sports. I like group training. I like one-on-one. -on -one. It's we, it's not me. It's we. Mm -hmm. And so that's my attitude. I get it. On the other side, parents just so unaware of what their kids are doing on social media. Like, especially like not thinking your kids are having sex or having conversations or going through their phones. Like, I'm always like, what's wrong with you? Like, I'm not saying you got to do anything about it, but you're not checking your phone. Like you're, 
like you, with these parents that think their kid's perfect or their daughter's never had a conversation or their son hasn't looked at somebody and said something potentially inappropriate because that's how you learn. And again, a lot of that stuff, that's normal process. This isn't like gross negligence, but not being aware or into your kids' lives and just being like, they're going to be fine as opposed to being aware and being like, hey, if you ever need me, I'm here. You know what I mean? Like, or, hey, I've asked, we've asked a bunch of our parents, how'd that birds and the bees conversation go? And they're freaking awkward telling us at 52 years old, let alone, you know, oh, they had it. We got a bunch of, you know, married parents, but I'm just like, I mean, hormones haven't changed. In fact, they've sped up. Yeah. You know, um, uh, kids, you know, so like, always like, oh, don't talk about sex. Don't talk about this. And we're very careful about what we talk about. But as a parent, if you're not trying to see what your kids are up to or head off the evils of social media right now, you get your head in the sand. You're a donkey. And then you can't be surprised when shit happens later on. And guess what? All the information's right in front of you. It's on their phone. Everything these kids are doing is on their phone. So I like strict rules for phone use. I mean, uh, like we use it for business quite a bit. And I would be the first to say it's cheap. It's easy. It spreads the message. It's just not cool. I will not look back at the end of my life and be like, I wish I was on my phone more. It serves a purpose. It spreads the message of our business. And I love that. And I like that I can stay in touch with people. But I want to have some limits. I want to put it in a certain spot. I don't want to touch it. And if a bunch of our parents, if I've got concerns about my kids and I think you're allowed to have concerns about your kids, you better just keep an eye on what the hell they're doing. If you're paying that, but they can pay for their own phone if they want that privacy. They can also live in their own place. And as, you know what I mean? Like, so, hey, as, and you know, you're someone who was out early. You know what I mean? You were a young kid. Yeah. My grandfather on my mom's side ran away from home at 14, tried to enlist. They found out he was young in World War II. He worked on the rails, the railroad for two years, then lied again and got into the uh, army at, at 17 or 16, yeah. like, and just, and lived his whole life. And he's, a, he was crazy and amazing and a story, but I can't imagine being on your own at 16 years old. Shit, oh. I'm talking about how immature I was at 40. So, and it doesn't mean I don't have life skills, but I didn't have the people skills that, that need to go along with that. And I just think when parents are unaware of what their kids are doing, how they're communicating, and when they have that resource in front of them, I just, when there's, when they when you turn a blind eye, yeah, it's nuts to me. So I hear you loud and clear. Final question. I'm going to let you go because I can't, I can't let you go without talking about the dogs. Sure. And one in particular. So I know baby, Abe only- and like, look, at, just relax, just relax now, get the tissues, get the tissues ready. Yeah. So I know you have baby Abe and Blue, Lou, I call Blue, um, yeah. and Lycan, and um, and you just la- lost Magnus, Maggie, not too long ago, correct? Yeah, a couple, like a year and a half, two years now, yeah. Yeah, so I've known you all this time, and I've never asked you this question and what you meant by it. So I know that Midori, the beloved box of Midori, Dory, mm-hmm. you met her, I think, if my, correct me if I get this story wrong, but I think that you met her the first day that you also met Liz. Like your first date with her was your first date with Liz, right? Correct? I officially adopted Midori the day, uh, I first date with Liz, yeah. Okay. So you have talked about it like this. You have basically said that um, Midori Midori was the first gym dog, but you say this, that you said she was the dog that there's, there's hi buddy. Hi sweetheart. I love him. That, that little dog, big personality. Yeah. Um, So you say that um, 
she saved your life. That's a strong statement. That's not a, I loved her. She was the best dog ever. When you say that she saved your life, tell me what you mean by that. So again, you're going down a path, whether you're good or bad, you don't know. Like a lot of times you're just living and the, the dogs are on my forum right there. LJ, Dory, Abe, Magnus, Lycan, Lucius, Blue. Hopefully it keeps going up. Uh, I'm hoping to just bring the a boxer. dog over Christmas. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I know you've got a boxer puppy still in your, you're like uh, waiting do. for it, waiting for I it. I do, I do. <laughs> boxer puppy and a bulldog. Those are our next two dogs. But um, I meet Midori and she's a rescue. So you learn, obviously, and in a lot of these situations, it's the same reason why when we adopted Nicole, saying, being aware of the right thing, saying, like telling people all the time, like, if you have resources, help, reach out, help. Like we all, like there's so much abundance and people want to like, you know, again, the three car garage, these houses, these vacation homes, like I have enough, you know what I mean? Whatever it is, I have enough right now. Um, I don't need more. Sometimes I sadly want more, but I don't need more. Yeah. And um, when you're in this situation, like everybody knows what the right thing to say is, but doing the right thing takes a lot more. So I've got something in my life. I've got uh, the opportunity to have a dog and there's a rescue that clearly needs some love. And for whatever reason we bond, you know what I mean? And the same thing, then Nicole comes along and she's someone who needs a home and some structure. And the right thing, the right thing to say is like, yeah, oh man, we'd always open our home, et cetera. And then you bring a 17 year old into your home with problems you're unaware of. And, you know, in the 10 hospital visits I had with Nicole for her physical ailment or her mental health or whatever, they're all worth it. But the work it took, I was unprepared for. I just never, I, I never thought it was too much. It was always the right thing to do. And I'd like to think that no matter what, you're a person of your word or as close as possible. So when Midori comes, she's a rescue. She's got problems, a little skittish, um, but like she's instantly so kind and open. So we meet and she's just like, she's so genuine to me. And we, we bond so close and, you know, we're sleeping next to each other every night and we're, we're together 24 seven. And part of it too, is then I start to travel a little bit to train Ben. And my wife, and she accepts my girlfriend at the time, but later on my wife, she accepts getting up early. She accepts, um, you know, running around, always being with me. And she's always like so loving and genuine. And it's one thing to say that. It's another thing when you're like, you see somebody and everything changes. Like every single time you see their face, you feel better. Like, so sometimes it's the, oh, thank God. And other times you're just like, that's right. That's what I need right now. Or other times you just, you wake up like, so Abe right now has been sick for about 18 months up and down. So I, when he had his bad scare about 18 months ago, I started putting him to bed with the same two minute talk and waking up every day with the same two minute talk every single day, every single day. Cause I don't want to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fail the right. regret test again. Um, I failed it once and that's cool. It's great. I'm just not going to fail it again. But Midori, every time I come back, would make me like, there was just so special. And sometimes I associated her with my wife, but girlfriend at the time. But a lot of times, like she was the center of everything. She was the gym. She was my girlfriend. She was the happiness in my life. She was like the man, this is, 
like someone I've never known can come into my life and change it that great. So things can change tomorrow. She was the positive, the, the hope, the outlook, the everything. Mm -hmm. And so you just always have this feeling. And then obviously we bring in other dogs around her, but she's got a number of health issues. So she gets Cushing. She can't control her bowels. She had demodectic mange. She had multiple tumors. Like at one point we called her fire mutt because all her hair came off and um, she literally was like just dark and people used to be like, what, what happened to that? They'll be like, oh, she lost a lot of her hair in the fire. She's doing really well, <laughs> you know, and she was great. And I'll never forget. We used to go to this place across the street in the gym. And I love this so much about Midori. Like it literally was, we, we were in a plaza and 22 feet away was a restaurant. Like it wasn't even a main road. It was just 22 feet away in the plaza. And we'd lock the door midday and go to this place and Dory would get to the walk to the door, look at us, see us locking the door, lift the leg and pee and walk away just to spite us because she was like, hey, I'm you do everything with me. And so even stuff like that, my wife always says, you think Dory was never sick, was never terrible. She was taking five medications at a day. We had to do these daily oatmeal baths. And it also made me realize when you love somebody unconditionally, it doesn't matter what the fuck is wrong with them. You're you're in it. You're in it. And when you just say like, hey, we've got to make this work and we want it to be great. It is. It is like Paul and your mom. Yeah. Like totally. You know what I mean? You just don't decide. And so whereas my brother and I still remember these conversations, we'd wake up and say, hey, I hope mom dies today. She's she can't speak. She can't communicate. She can't use the bathroom. She's just she's lost 40 pounds in front of us. I hope mom goes today. And Paul would just be like, she's hanging on. I'm with her. 24 seven, I'm hanging on. And so when Midori got sick, I kind of felt that way. Like, doesn't matter. Like life is great as long as she's here. And it was always awesome. (laughs) And it was great. And the dog was amazing and never didn't love me for just being me. And so it made me think about things very, very differently. Every relationship. And that's why my relationship with my wife involved and every next dog and every person. And so it's not just like a tattoo on your arm. It's like a, like a, like a, something enlarges your heart and makes you just want to love and be and do more. And it's just amazing. So when I say that dog saved my life, like this life of me being Uh, unaware or eyes not open or uh, less than I could have been. And I still struggle with that daily because I want to do and be more. And that's why I want the constructive feedback. And that's why I want to be better than I am. But I learned that shit from a dog. You know what I mean? I learned that because I've had so many great people and I appreciated in the moment everything I could and thought, why don't I do this all the time? And why don't I be this person who the dog thinks I am? And then we filmed a movie in Puerto Rico and I filmed this movie runner runner with Ben. I was with Ben in Puerto Rico for like 40 days and I'm coming home and it's Midori's birthday. And I get on the plane uh, and I call my wife and we're like, Hey, I got a bunch. She's like, I got a bunch of treats for Midori's birthday. And I'm like, awesome. And I land and she says, meet me at the hospital right now. Like I literally turn on. So I go straight from the airport to the hospital and Midori's had, um, like a stroke. And so and we're at the animal hospital and I just, and she said, Hey, she's hanging on for you. And so I lay on the floor with her 
the nurses are great. They're walking around. I'm just holding her. And like the last thing I ever think is like, hey, like I spent those 40 days away. But every time I came home, she always made me feel like I'd never been gone. And that we like it was still special. And so she puts on a show. My wife is like, hey, you didn't see her the, the last four hours before that. She's been a mess. And, and we let her go and put her to, to put her down. And she's sick. And they realize like she's had a bunch of tumors. She's been living with pain. So you, they can say all the right things to make you feel better. But that loss was the first loss that didn't feel like something was out of my life. It felt like something had enriched and made my life better forever. Mm-hmm. So when I say that dog saved my life, I'm in no way understating the effect she's had on me. Yeah. I'm not wiping away any of these tears because <laughs> I'm not sad about it. She's amazing. And I'm, I'm happy that I will have gotten a chance to talk about it because I'll also say this. I had come to grips with my mom dying long before she died because I was tired of watching her suffer. Yeah. It was much harder to, for me to deal with the death of Midori or other dogs that was so sudden or when my dad had a heart attack on a walk and just left. Um, that process was a little bit different. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but I think, as you know, you lose a little bit and on one end you toughen up and on the other hand, you also open up. Yes. You know, so I'm happy I've done both and I've learned as much from the dogs in my life as, and I don't care if people get it or not. Like I could give two shits. Like <laughs> when someone says like, oh, your dad didn't understand if you were a dog person or how do you, and I'm always like, it's great. Whatever mm-hmm. works for you works for you, but there'll never be a part of my life where there's not a dog in it. Yeah. Um, and fortunately I have a partner that feels the same way. Oh my God. <laughs> hey, way to bring us down to finish the show. <laughs> yeah. It was wonderful. Wonderful. No, uh, this, is, this is what it's all about. Cause you know me too. I'm a total dog person. hundred percent. I love, <laughs> you know, I, I love seeing the fact that you have all those different animals and you've got your huge heart. And like, at some point you'll be the reason why I stop eating meat because you've set a great <laughs> example. Look, you, you've talked the talk and walked the walk for much longer than the average person. And that's also why I'm sure most people really enjoy working with you because like you're going to smile and tell them they're full of shit and you're going to also give them a bunch of steps and you're going to hug them when they fail and you're going to like hug them just as tight when they succeed. And that's the cool part. And so even watching, uh, staying like you've got a huge heart with animals. That's something that's like, I think uh, is more rare than it should be. And to the point where you believe so strongly, your clothes reflect that your diet reflects that. Like imagine that passion applied is what everybody should be so lucky to find. You know what I mean? And so lucky to then apply to their entire life. So I think a lot of times when someone says, oh, they're like, when I refer somebody or I say you should follow this, like, hey, they're doing the things, their word is their action. And I think there's no greater compliment than that. Oh my God. Thank you so much, sweetheart. So kind of you. And I could, I mean, I could literally just talk to you for hours. I have so many things. I always want to pick your brain and share your, the way that you think and your outlook. And thank you for sharing that story um, of Midori, because I always wanted to, I knew how much you love her, but I didn't know exactly um, 
exactly what that was. And it's a powerful and beautiful story. And I have no doubt, like me too, like that's like my, my Abby girl, my border collie who I had for 14 years. And I say, she, she, um, she made me, I still can't think of her without crying. She made me a better human being. Mm -hmm. and uh, taught me so much. And I always say like animals are one of my fastest pathways to the divine, to God, to source, to my best self, to my best self. And I, um, I love, I love the way that you and Liz love your animals and the way that they are, you know, part of your family and Mm -hmm. one of the heartbeats of your family and watching your children um, grow up with their love for them as well. It's just a huge thing. And I love how you have gym dogs and they're in the gym and there's just so much about what you're doing and the, the, the person you have become. So now I'm getting emotional. (laughs) Just knowing your parents and um, knowing how much they loved you and what they wanted for you. And just seeing the human being that you have become and what a significant role. I know Liz, beautiful Liz has played in the man that you've become and your children. And I think you're going to just continue to grow. And it's just been such an honor to watch you, my dear friend, um, to step into um, the person that you are. And it's interesting because whenever a childhood friend, a kid from Lawrence or whatever uh, that I knew growing up and, and I know them well enough to say something, I'll write, I'll write something about them after they pass. And one of my friends said to me, you know, I wish we would all say these things. He, well, he, what he always says is you always say the most, uh, whatever I'll take the compliment, but you will always say the most incredible things about people. You really see people and you can talk about them in this powerful way. And he was saying, I wish we all said these kinds of things to each other while we're still alive. For sure. And I, uh, so with this opportunity, um, just, I just wanted to say that to you. It has been, um, because I remember what Buckethead, like I remember yeah. the kid that you were and sure. seeing the business you've grown and just everything. It is just phenomenal. And I'm really, and I, I take no credit for it. Or I think sometimes when we say we're proud of somebody, it can mean like, oh, I think I had something to do with it, but I'm really proud of the person that you've become. That's awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And then the last thing I want to say is not to put you on the spot, but I think I'm going to air this like the first week in January. And while I'm not really into, um, you know, like New Year's resolutions and like all that, you do these one minute mojos, which I love where it's like whoever in the gym, one of the, one of them is like filming you and you kind of do this thing, which is a combination of, we don't even have time to get into your love of uh, wrestling, (laughs) but I think part of that, part of your personality is definitely from watching these amazing orators and storytellers growing up. But if there was anything you were going to say to people who are starting their new year, you don't have to do a whole one minute mojo, but is there any message that you'd love to leave with people or anything you'd want to say to people who under this, under this belief of we can always get better or just something from your heart that you want to share with the listeners? You can I mean, take a moment to think about it. Yeah, no, no. It's, I, I always think too, it's just take a step, take a step, staying where you are won't get you anywhere. And it's people overthink it. People get afraid of it. People like, just take a step. Don't worry about if it's perfect. Don't worry about if it's uh, lateral. Don't worry about what happens. But I, I think at some point you have to know that action wins. Action wins. And 
you have to, you have to, there's a thousand parts to it, but like, I just think people get very romanticized about tomorrow. They get very dragged down with yesterday, you know, like, man, my past is this and that, but you have right now, you have this moment. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And um, one of the big things we say a lot of times too, with our college kids is that you gotta, you gotta, your, your job is to do the best you can. And then it's to bring somebody with you. It's to bring somebody with you. And so you gotta, you gotta do a, such a great job that people either want to follow you or you're dra- p- dragging them, kicking and screaming, or sometimes it's to look around and know who the person in the room is. You're going to grab onto their underwear and follow them because <laughs> they're doing such a great job. But all of that is action-based. So just take a step, take action. And it doesn't matter. I don't care if it's learning Spanish or uh, better with this or your health journey with that or going to bed, like action wins. And you have to think like, and you'll, you'll know, like for a lot of people, we see a lot of people working out, they're doing this, they're doing that, but they don't know any better. So they're ignorant, but they're taking action. There's, there's the hope that they can learn more as they go. I think when you know better and you aren't taking action, there's a problem. You know what I mean? When you're aware and you know, and you got to figure out like, how does this serve you? You know, one of the big, big things we always say, how's that going for you? I always yeah. say that. Yeah. I say that so, to all my clients. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh shit, how's that going for you? You know, like, <laughs> and, but in some cases you're like, just, just take a step, baby. You know, and I, as someone who gets bogged down a little bit and wanting to do things really well or uh, like uh, procrastinating sometimes because I don't have enough time to be great or perfect. Like the, the part that's tough about that is that most of the things I end up doing, I end up doing fairly well, but it's the thought that I couldn't or like holds me back as opposed to just freaking going. And so I, it's also, I also am trying to take my own advice almost all of the time. And I oh. want to take action too. A hundred percent. I always say to the people in the nest, my, my membership and community, I always say everything I'm saying to you, it's for my ears first. Sure. Like, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like, you know, grow and expand or get better. However we want to call it. The language is the same thing. It's like, I'm trying to, but it's for my ears first. And so I just think it's an incredible thing. And I love what you just said about like, um, you know, I, I believe that too. You know, I always say, if you're lucky enough, the way that I say it is like, if you're lucky enough to take the elevator to the top floor, you don't stop the car there. You send that sucker back down because there are mm-hmm. people who are coming up behind you. And I believe in sympathetic joy and I believe in helping others. And I love that you just said that because it's one of the heartbeats of, of um, things that I think where we're, a lot of us are, are getting it wrong. We're too focused on what we want, what we need, and we're not taking, we're not opening our eyes and looking around us as well. But well, this has just been so fantastic. Thank you so much for being Thank on the you. show. This was it's- awesome and very therapeutic for me. I got to go pick up my kids. I know. They're going to get overwhelmed today, whether they know it or not. So, <laughs> so, Can you just uh, tell people how to reach you online if they want to find you, your website, and then also your Instagram and different ways to, to stay in touch? Uh, IPfitness.com. 978-289-4177. Uh, Walter Norton Jr., JR Walter Norton Jr. at on Instagram, I think IPF News on Instagram. Um, I mean, I think the, I think that yeah, all of that. We're again, we're easy to track down if you want to find us. I hope it, you know how much I appreciate this conversation, how much I love you, how awesome I think you are. So thank you so much for having the talk today. 
Thank you, sweetheart. All right. I always say a final thing before we go to the listeners. Thank you so much for being here, you guys. I see you. I appreciate you. I celebrate you. Wherever you go, leave the people, the place, the animals, the environment better than how you found it. Wherever you go, may you be a blessing. Bye. Well said. Hey, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of The Karen Kenny Show. (laughs) I super duper appreciate your time, friendship, and support. And look, if something that I shared from my heart today somehow landed in yours, I'd love to hear about it. So please tag me on Facebook or Instagram or IG stories or wherever the cool kids are hanging out these days. And let me know what your favorite pot was or what you found most helpful. You can find me over at Karen Kenny Live. That's Karen, K-E-N-N-E-Y-L-I-V-E. And if you're digging what I'm saying and you want to hear more, I'd be wicked grateful if you could go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review because you guys, that's how you'll help me to keep spreading the love. And if you can think of someone that could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them. I'd also love to stay connected with you. So if the feeling is mutual, please go to karenkenny.com backslash freebie and download my free guide to building your spiritual team. Until next time, my brothers and sisters, keep living in the fearless flow. Know that I see you, I appreciate you, and I love you. And wherever you go, may you be a blessing.